really uh, is not too hard when you just understand some of the basic uh, ways that the book's put together. So we've been doing that, and we have been coming through it and, and laying some uh, things out for you. And uh, last week we basically started chapter 1, and uh, I want to pick it up today, and I want to begin reading in Romans chapter 1, and we'll start down with verse 1 again and come down through verse 7. And it says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To them that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we ask you today to come with us and help us to open up these scriptures. Help us to learn the great truths here that you have for us. And Lord, I know that there's many men and women in this room today that really want to build a relationship with you. I know, Father, that there's some here that really desire to to be everything uh, that uh, they can be for you. And Lord, I know that as a human being, even though I may pastor this church, I am severely limited in ever helping anybody get to that point. All I can do is point them in that direction. I can give them and offer them a few encouragements and lay out some uh, uh, things that they can begin to see. And But real, Lord, the real matter of that, it has to come between their own personal relationship with you and the commitment that they make in their hearts that they're going to be and do what God wants them to do. And Lord, I pray. We've got a lot of young couples here today. We've got a lot of single parents here today with kids that, uh, that are in that age where the world is going to grab them up. And help us, Lord, to realize that we have, as parents, a tremendous responsibility. And let us, as a church, Lord, always be there to not only train the men and women that want to learn about God and the Word of God, but to always be uh, in mind of the children, Lord and the teenagers, and all of those young adults that really uh, are coming at a time in their life where they're faced with many, many issues that we need to be there and be their rock to hold them, Lord, in line with the Word of God. Bless us today. We'll thank you and give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, last week we, we looked at verse 1. And I showed you, and you began to see this, how that when it comes to the book of Romans, this is really true of the whole Bible, God doesn't waste any space. He uses every everything in there. And you could study the book of Romans not only by the book itself, but uh, basically you could probably come down and break it down verse by verse in most cases. And we saw last week that when Paul opened this great book, which really deals with us as a uh, understanding, really the mindset of ministry through all of the different issues, uh, we saw he opened it up by giving us three areas in our lives that we need to have to be effective as a minister of Christ. First thing he said was, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the, your attitude about being a servant. Then he said, called to be an apostle. And we talked about how that if you're saved here this morning, God has a calling for you. He has something that he wants you to do. And then the last thing we talked about is he said that, uh, that uh, he was separated unto the gospel of God. And we talked about the, the, uh, the attitude that, uh, you know, in Christianity, when you get saved, you can't just separate from the world, but you have to separate to something. 
You have to fill that gap and fill that void. And, and, and verse 1 has always been an incredible verse to me. I saw it many, many, many years ago, and it's always been something that I've never forgotten. It's a great little verse if you want to use it for a devotion with your ball team at some point, yet it's a great sermon that you can just uh, go on forever on those three points. But what an, what an impacting verse to open up the book of Romans with. And now today we're, gonna, we're going to start in verse 2. And uh, we're going to come on down through here and we're going to look at the rest of this and, and, and we're going to see how he opens up some great uh, concepts here that we need, to, we need to see and understand. And we're going to continue on now and it, we'll see how he lays this thing out. All right, he says in verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 again so I can put it in the context of verse 2. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now you want to look at, mark that, the gospel of God, which, the gospel of God, he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now this verse is a great key to understanding a lot of things about the Bible. Now when I look at the Bible, I look at the Bible uh, as like a, like a tall, majestic, uh, superstructure building. And you have everything from the ground level up is where the people work. And there's a, there's a level to the Bible where you live. And, and I, you know, I have to make analogies that I can understand. <clears throat> so when I think of the Bible, and I think of the magnitude of the Bible, I put it in three concepts. The first part would be the ground level where we all live. And that's where we have to face the issues of life. And we all live life and and the Bible has the answers to that, and that would be the first level of your Bible would be the ground level. Uh, underneath, the uh, underneath the ground level, you'd have the basement area. And a basement is where you store things. And in the Bible concept, that would be where you memorize, where you, you get <coughs> key concepts that help you on the ground level. You know, when you store stuff in your basement, it's stuff that is related to life. You may just not need it at that particular point in time. Well, the Bibles are that way too. That you have a you have a, le a level of life that you have to live your life, and uh, you have to be able to store things that you learn about the Bible. So, in your house, when you have things that are pertaining to your life but you don't need them right now, where do you put them? You put them in storage, and that's what we do with the Bible. We we hide the Word of God in our heart. We don't use all of the Bible that we know every day of our life, so we have it in storage that when we do need it, all we got to do is go down into the storage area and pick out what we got and, and then use it. <coughs> so when I think of the Bible, I think of the Bible in, those three, in three levels. I think of the living level, the ground level, that's where we live, the basement or the storage level of where you put the Word of God and hide it in your heart, and then in, a, in the big buildings, in you know the big majestic buildings, the skyscrapers, there's a level below the basement, and it's called the sublevel. Do you know what's in the sublevel of all the big buildings? Well, up in the offices, that's where they do all the work. That's where you have your computers. That's where you have your conference rooms. That's where you have your phones, and that's where you have all of the multimedia stuff that you need to, to do the job. <coughs> in the basement is where you store your records, you store your files, you store the things that you need. But in the sublevel, the level below the basement, that's where all the machinery exists that runs everything else in the building. That's where your generators are. That's where your, your power sources are. That's where your heating and air conditioning is. That's where all your phone systems come in, all your gas lines, all your water lines. Everything that makes the rest of that building work comes into the sublevel 
And there lays the machinery that makes that building operate. Now, I look at the Bible the same way. Some of you, bless your heart, some of you will come to a place in your life where you really grasp uh, some principles of life, and, and you're going you're gonna to be able to deal with the issues of life. Some of you are going to come to the place that, that you're going to be able to uh, uh, memorize verses. You're going to be good at working with people in and, and those levels of, uh, of, you know, some of the limited counseling or the discipleship. You've got good recall about things. But the real goal of every child of God, the real goal, and I'm saying this because what we're going to look at today is the sub-level of the Bible. We're going to go down today where all the machinery is at. Very few of God's people ever get into this level. You've heard me say many, many times that what you ought to do with the Word of God in your life is help you get to the point where you have, and you hear me use this term all the time, a working knowledge of the Bible. What does that mean? The working knowledge of the Bible means that you have a sub-level understanding of what really makes the Bible work. You're not just on a surface level. You're not just on the stories level. <coughs> You're down now in the sub-level where the machinery is. And you understand what really makes the Bible work for you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 talks about the fact that <coughs> we are to be a workman. A workman. There's a level of the Bible that most God's people never get to. There's a level in the Word of God that most of God's people never enter into. And that's why most of their lives they deal with surface stuff. Or they memorize their little verses and they, they, know, they know concepts. And you've heard me say it many, many times. There's a lot of people who know things about the Bible. But when I talk about knowing the Bible, I'm talking about being in the sub-level. And there's, the, the, there's those people who they know things about the Bible, and then there's people who know the Bible. The difference is, to me is always this. It's the difference between being a real fireman and being a little child who just gets a fire hat and a toy fire truck. And, and the difference is, is when you look at it, it's, it's you would never ask the little kid to come put out a fire in your house. When your house is on fire, you want a real fireman. You don't want somebody who just plays with a fire truck and wears the hat. And unfortunately, that's the way most of God's people are. They never get to that level where they really become effective with the Word of God because they really don't understand the sub-level of the Bible and how it all works together. When Paul begins to lay out in this, these verses what he's talking about, he's down in the sub-level. He's giving you today one of the I-beams of the Bible, which the Bible is built on. He starts to open up one of the greatest concepts that you'll never probably understand in your life as a Christian. You should, but we probably won't. And yet at the same time, the practical application to what he's saying is so incredible that uh, it's one of the greatest studies you'll ever take. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to look at some things that are what I call the inside keys to a working relationship with the Bible. <clears throat> And uh, when I look at someone uh, and, and look at somebody, and you know, people are asking me all the time, you know, what do you think about where I'm at? You know, how can I improve? Where am I this? Where am I at? The bottom line is this. What I look for in a young man or a young lady <coughs> is not necessarily how you live life, though that's important. <coughs> I don't look at how well you memorize verses, though that's important. 
I look at this. If you're ever going to be truly effective in ministry, those things are the normal things. What you've got to get to is you've got to get to a sub-level of working and understanding how that Bible fits together and understand how why things are the way they are in the Bible. And I don't know if this is making any sense to most of you or not because I wouldn't say that probably uh, that, you know, I'm trying to break this down so you can grasp it. But you're going to find that uh, uh, when you get into this level of the Word of God, this is what makes the, everything else in the Bible work. Have you ever asked yourself this question? I don't know if you ponder about things in the Bible or not. I ponder about things in the Bible all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a great what-ifer. And I keep most of those things to myself because you don't want to you don't want to get people to the point where they, you know, you can sit around all day and what if it. But the bottom line is this. Have you ever asked yourself and ever stopped and think, why the Jews at the first coming of Christ rejected Him? I mean, did you ever just stop and think to yourself, you know, here He, here he was when He came. And when He came, I mean, it, when you look at verse 2 of that passage we just read, it says in verse 2, the Bible says that, that, that the prophets preached about His coming. Now, we could go through the Bible in many, many places and we could find a promise of the coming seed. And have you ever just stopped and contemplated why the Jews, who were God's people, who had such an absolute rich history with God? I mean, they go all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. The great miracles that God did with them down through all through the Bible. How in the world, how in the world did the nation of Israel, who the Bible says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 1, who were promised by the prophets of what was going to come, how in the world did they miss him? Now, the standard teaching is this. If you went off the Bible college today someplace, and this is taught in about 98.999%, if you'd ask the average pastor today, or you'd ask the average Christian today, I guarantee you, if you would go into the next 10 churches that you would find, and you would say to them, uh, why did the Jews, or what is the concept about the Jews of the first coming of Christ? This is what you're taught. You're taught that the Jews in the Old Testament look forward to the cross. And then you're taught that we as New Testament Christians look back to the cross. And that is the standard interpretation of you get about the nation of Israel and the first coming of Christ. They will tell you that the Jews in the Old Testament were looking forward to the cross. And we in the New Testament then look back to the cross. Now... Obviously, half of that is correct. We in the New Testament do look back to the cross. And the reason for that is is because now we have the Word of God and we have everything that, that we need to know to have it in complete perspective or as complete as we can have it. But the idea that the Jews in the Old Testament <coughs> were looking forward to the cross is one of the most ridiculous, ludicrous concepts that I've ever heard anybody in my life. It just blows my mind how not only how, how ridiculous some people can make statements, but even more ridiculous is the people who don't even stop to think about what they're being told. And I'm going to tell you something. The Jews, a guy said to me one time, well, the Jews are looking forward for, to the cross and we look back. And I said, do you really believe the Jews were looking forward to the coming of Christ? And he said, absolutely. And then I said, then why are they missing? 
Guy told me one time, we were talking about Genesis chapter 6. And, you know, back there, the sons of God. And I teach the Bible says the sons of God were angels, fallen angels that came down and cohabited. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, the standard teaching is that it wasn't angels. The standard teaching is that you got some godly line of Seth that's marrying some ungodly line of Cain. And the guy said to me, he said, well, they weren't angels back there. I said, well, who were they? And he says, well, that was the godly line of Seth marrying the ungodly line. I said, you're telling me it was saved people marrying unsaved people? He says, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I said, okay. And why didn't they get on the ark? He didn't have an answer to that. You know why? There is no answer to that. That is, that is, that, when a guy starts to talk like that, let me interpret for you what he's saying. I don't have a clue about the Bible. I don't know anything about it. But I heard this one time, and this is as good as I can get to the closest I can get to the answer. Let me tell you something. It wasn't the godly line of Seth marrying an only godly line back there any more than it was the Jews looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were looking forward to His coming, then how in the world did they miss Him? And, of course, the answer to this is where we begin to go down into the sub-level. Because he says in verse 2, he said, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he, see, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with, he's saying, all that's in the Old Testament. Now, I want to begin to lay this out for you, and I'm going to take my time with it because I know we've got a lot of young Christians here today, but at least you'll go out of here maybe with the, maybe you won't grasp everything that I'm going to talk about in the sub-level, but maybe you'll at least get the parallel. Because uh, next thing I want you to do now is I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to begin to show you what Paul is talking about here. Because what Paul is saying is this. He's basically saying that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we know at the first coming of Christ, the nation of Israel missed Him. What he's getting ready to show you and I is the two reasons why they missed him. And then you take that historical reason of why they missed him and you make the practical application to you and me that just as the Jew missed the first coming of Christ, don't you and I as the body of Christ miss the second coming of Christ. Because the danger is there and it's already in place. All right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Here's what he says. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here it comes. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now, you see what he just said right there? He said the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the grace that was going to come unto you and me. Let's go on. Searching what or what manner of the time of the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it, the Spirit, testified beforehand, one, the sufferings of Christ, two, and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not only themselves, but unto us, 
that they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, that's an incredible passage. Let me try to take that passage and break it down where everybody can understand it. He's saying in verse 9 and 10 very simply this, that it says that the prophets testified of the grace that was going to come unto you and me in the Old Testament. Now that goes right along with Romans chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. This is what it says. And he says, concerning uh, the grace that should come to you and me. Now that's the, that's the body mystery. That's the church. That's you and I. That's the grace of God. Verse 11 says, and this is our key here, that there is two things, two things that were testified of in the Old Testament. In other words, what does he mean by that? Two things that the Old Testament prophets wrote about. And in these two things is found the answer. Not only to the answer of Christ being portrayed as the one that was going to come, but also why the nation of Israel missed it. And we will destroy, obliviate, destroy forever the myth that the Old Testament saints were looking forward to the cross. Now the two things that are testified in the Old Testament, number one, is the suffering of Christ. That's the first thing that's talked about in the Old Testament. Now the suffering of Christ would have to do with the first coming of Christ and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that is testified. The second thing that is testified in the Old Testament is the glory of Christ. That would be His second coming and His establishing His kingdom when He comes back at the second coming of Christ. Those two things in verse 11 when it says down there at the end of the verse, when it testified beforehand the one sufferings of Christ at the crucifixion and the glory that should follow. That's the second coming of Christ. Verse 12 says, It was never revealed unto them, the Old Testament nation of Israel, but rather it was given unto us, the church. Verse 12 says, Now reported unto you. And of course we know that was through Paul. And then he goes on and he says this, the gospel of the Holy Ghost from heaven. And he says in verse 12 that that's talking about that when the Holy Ghost came down. And then the last part of that verse, and we don't have time to get into this this morning, what interesting this is. He says when he lays this whole thing out about the mystery back there and the sufferings of Christ and the glory, then he says this. He says, which things the angels desire to look into. Now that opens up a whole can of things that uh, is an incredible study. And all I can say to you is this right now because we get on that and we'd, be, we'd never get anything else done. Let me just say this to you what that means so you don't go out of here with you know, a total blank question mark in front of your eyeballs. The bottom line is this. Obviously there's things that the angels don't understand. The angels, have, angels are spiritual bodies. They're spiritual beings. They have a spiritual body and they have a spiritual spirit, but they do not have souls. I am sure that the angels have a tough time understanding grace. I'm sure they have a tough time understanding love. I'm sure they have a tough time understanding all of the attributes that God has that is related to a man or a woman who has a soul. Why? Because angels don't have souls. And I'm telling you that when they hear some of this stuff, they desire, like, they desire to look at you. And I've always thought that was interesting. Here they are. They don't have the ability to understand everything that you and I have because they're created spiritual beings with a purpose. 
But here they are with a desire to know God's truth. Here you are with the Word of God and you have no desire to know His truth. It's backwards in so many cases. Well, like I said, we don't have time to get into that today, but just put that there for right now and, and, that, and that's where it's at and we can talk about that at a later date. But the real issue here is simply this. In the Old Testament, the real issue that caused the nation of Israel to miss the first coming of Christ is the same issue or the same two issues that are going to cause many of you to miss the second coming of Christ. Now, when I say that, let me clarify that. I'm not saying that you're all unsaved. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if you miss the second coming of Christ, you're unsaved and you're going to die and go to hell. I'm not talking about that. <clears throat> what I'm talking about is that there's a reason for Christ's coming that is very pertinent to your life and my life as a believer. And we also know that all through that Bible, we are told to watch for the coming of the Lord. I said it last week. God has a calling for you to do. And if you're saved here this morning and you've been saved for more than five years and you've not actively pursued or identified that calling in your life, you're in trouble. I don't know what else to tell you. <clears throat> you're in trouble. You know, you see a lot of God's people with a lot of movement in their lives. And they have no, they have no concept of the urgency of the time that we live in. A lot of God's people, somebody says, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about... <clears throat> Christians that are just don't have a clue. I mean, they're nice people. But you certainly don't want to try to build a church with that kind of mindset. They just, their whole world is themselves. They, they, don't get in, they don't give anything to God of their own life. It's all about them. It's all on their terms. And, and somebody said to me one time, he says, how do you look at people like that? I say, you know what I look at people like that? I look at people like that that were probably on the Titanic when it was sinking. There were people in the Titanic that were busy rearranging the chairs. You say, what good did rearranging the chairs do in the Titanic? It was going to sink. That's my point exactly. What good is it for you to waste your life in the little mundane things you do when the whole world is on the verge of dying and going to hell and the whole world is coming to an end when Christ returns? You know what the problem is? We have no urgency. You know why we have no urgency? You've never developed the calling of God in your life. The calling of God to you is none effect. You go busy doing what you want to do and going where you want to go and getting involved with all the things that you do that you just don't have time for the call of God. And that is, when I'm talking about missing the second coming of Christ, I'm talking about there's the two greatest events in the history of the world. Two. 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 And the first one had to do with the first coming of Christ, and the, and the, and the, uh, the other one has to do with the second coming of Christ. The first one was the greatest event in the world that took place at the first coming of Christ was the resurrection of Christ. Do you ever stop and analyze that? The greatest time in the history of the world, unknown, nothing like it in the history of mankind, was the day Christ walked out of that tomb on His own. There is not another single event in the history of the world that changed the world, impacted the world, or set the world in disarray more than the day that that rock rolled away and up from the grave He arose. And when He walked out of that tomb, the whole world got changed. And you know what? 
the 12 men, the 12 men, the 12 men, the 12 men who had walked with him, who had heard everything he said, the 12 men who, who was, was willing to go out and preach the kingdom, the 12 men that he chose who followed him for three years, heard everything he said, were not there to see it. Do you ever stop and analyze that? The 12 men that he chose, by which after he ascended back to heaven, he was going to literally, from the book of Acts, change the face of planet earth. Wasn't even there. They missed the great event. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there's a second great event coming. And that great event is going to be the day he comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'll tell you something else you can kind of amen about if you're in the mood for it. And that is the fact that most of God's people are going to miss that. Will they be there? Yes, they will. Will they miss it in the sense of not going to heaven? No, they won't. But they will miss it in the sense of <coughs> preparing themselves, understanding that you had a calling. And that calling was to prepare your life up against that day. And we're going to miss it. Israel missed it at the first coming of Christ, and for the same reason, you and I will miss it at the second coming of Christ. And those two issues are simply this. One, they rejected His Word. Two, they rejected the Spirit of Holiness. And I want to use that term, <coughs> Spirit of Holiness. And we'll come back and talk about but that. But here's the problem. Now, I, this is sub-level. This is sub-level. This is where I'm going to, most of you could follow it up to this point. Now I'm going to lose you. But that's okay. You've got to get lost to get found, and you'll surface someplace else. You don't worry. If you have a problem, coming. But here's the bottom line. In the Old Testament, here's what God did. Because God, when He wrote His Word, He wrote it in such a way that it's dependent on Him. See, the Bible is not dependent on your IQ. You'd be the smartest man in the world and be the dumbest person when it comes to the Bible. In fact, when it comes to the Bible, the greatest advantage you can have, the dumber you are, the better you are. And I don't know of anything like that's true. I mean, if you want to be a doctor, you don't want to be a dumb doctor. You don't want to be in a professional field and be dumb. But when it comes to the Bible, which is not a professional field, by the way, the dumber you are, the better you are. Because the more you get educated, the more you get educated out of your intelligence. And the more you get educated, the more you think you're smarter than God, and then you wind up doing exactly what the nation of Israel did. They rejected His Word. And once you reject His Word, the two are together, you have to reject the spirit of holiness. Now, what God did is this. Oh, and God got a monkey wrench that will fit in a nut in this world, ladies and gentlemen. But here's what God did. God wrote a book that He knew that His spirit was going to be the key of unlocking that book. So you know what He did? He took the <coughs> sufferings of Christ, <coughs> crucifixion, first coming, and the glory of Christ, the glorification, the second coming, and in the Old Testament, he stuck those two right in the same passage. And you know what the Jew had a tough time doing? They would read about the suffering, and then in the same passage, they would read about the glory. And they would say to themselves, who is this talking about? Because the Jews <coughs> were looking for a king. 
They were looking for a king. And God tripped them up by putting the first coming of Christ in the exact same passages with the second coming of Christ. But God knowing that this was the first coming and the second coming, but it took the Spirit of God to show it to you. I'll show you some passages. And we're going to run through the Bible now. So, <clears throat> you know, here we go. Genesis chapter 49. I'm going to show you these places. Genesis chapter 49. Come to Genesis chapter 49. <clears throat> yes, it is in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 49. Now watch. I'm going to give you three or four. <clears throat> and the bottom line is this. This is the mark of somebody who knows the Bible. Not because that I know them, but I'm saying, if when, you look, when I look for somebody, when I talk about the sub-level of the Bible, this is what I'm talking about. Now, I put up with all of you, and I love all of you, and you're all nice people, but the bottom line it is, this is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates somebody who 10, 20 years after they've been saved, still asking and can't even get the basic things of the Bible. This is because you've never got into the sub-level. And I guarantee you there's some reasons why you didn't, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. <clears throat> All right, now the Old Testament is, is in those passages, the first coming, the suffering of Christ, <clears throat> and the second coming, the glory of Christ, are stuck in the same verses. Now watch this. 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet <clears throat> until Shiloh, that's Christ, Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. Now watch this. Watch. Here it is. Here it is. This is what the Jew couldn't get. Binding his foal under the vine and his ass's colt under the choice vine. Now you see your punctuation there? You got a semicolon. Look at the next part of the verse. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. You know, you know what you got? where it talks about the, the, the ass's colt and tying it to a vine. <clears throat> That's Mark chapter 11 and John chapter 12. That's the first coming of Christ when he goes into Jerusalem on the triumphant Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday, when he rode in it, they laid down the palm leaves, they said Hosanna, and he rode into Jerusalem on the fold of an ass. That's the first coming. Then you've got a punctuation, semicolon. You know what you got the rest? You've got Isaiah 63, Revelation chapter 19, and you've got the second coming of Christ. You got the first coming and the second coming right smack dab in the same verse. You know what threw them off? <clears throat> they knew nothing about the church age that separates the two. And they, they were looking for a king to come. They were looking for his glory. But the Holy Spirit of God tripped them up just like he'll trip you up. The Holy Spirit of God will keep you honest. You'll play with me. You'll play with your friends. You'll play with the people that are discipling you. He will not be played with. The Jews thought they could play with him, and he sticks that thing in there, and they break their neck. And then the same God who became the rock that Israel was built on become a stumbling stone that they tripped over and then become a smiting stone that smashed them at the end. And if you can't pick up the parallels of that, you're in trouble. You don't play with the Holy Spirit of God. When it comes to that Bible, it's not on your terms, it's on His terms. The Jews could never get that. Most of God's people could never get that. 
So you got down here in verse 10, you, and, and, and verse 11, the first part of the verse, the binding of his foe under the vine, the ashes cold, that's the first coming. And then you got the, he washed his garments with wine and the blood of grapes, that's the second coming. Turn over Isaiah chapter 61. I'll show you another one. <clears throat> this is what separates the men from the boys in the Bible. This is what the difference is but somebody who just plays with fire trucks and wears a nice little red helmet and somebody that in this church helps put out fires. I started a program this year that I have been focused on and been working on for a year and a half and it, it's in a form of a Bible institute. And I took 20 or 30, 40 people that had already been working with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis and, uh, and I basically have come up with the without a doubt, and I think that just after our first meeting that everybody would testify that, probably the greatest single way to get the Bible down as far as a structure that you can get into that sub-level. And it's going to take us about a year, maybe a year and a half, and then I'm going to start the whole program over again. And it's going to be a Bible Institute type thing. And my goal is maybe not the next round, but the round after, is to have some guys ready that can go in and teach it and take over that aspect and develop a whole institute ministry in this church. And uh, I had to start with, and I figured, you know what? For four years I've told you people, come and study with me, come and study with me. And some of you haven't, some of you haven't. So I took the ones who did, and I figured I'll make you my lab rats. And, uh, but there's a little difference this time. And I told you this when we started. This is not for everybody. And it's a situation where I, 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 it, it's going to be, you know, it, it's different than anything else we've done. Because five years now we've come to the place, and you hear me say it all the time, that when we start talking about things in the Bible and I start getting rough on you in the Bible, I simply tell you that if, if you've not been in this church for five years at least, you know what, I don't even hold you accountable to it because it would take you five years to get your feet on the ground. Now, some of you have done it faster than that. But if you're here this morning and you're just somebody that's visiting or you're somebody that's been here for a year or so, you know what, when I say the things I say hard to people, I'm not really focusing on you. Now, if it splatters on you, that's good. But I'm not aiming at you. What I am saying is this. After five years in this church, you ought to be sub-level. And if you're not sub-level, there's something wrong with you. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. I wish I had an explanation for you. I just don't. But I said to myself, you know what? This year is going to be different. And I can't apply this across the board because they have so many new people. So for all you, things go on as SOP, Standard Operational Procedure, you know. You get a lot of grace, you get a lot of good, you get a lot of this, you get a lot of that. There's really no accountability as far as doing it. But once we get to that point that we say, okay, now we're going to get into this. And I told them when they got into this institute mentality that now there's going to be accountability. You're going to have to do tests. In fact, it's going to be, it was, you think it was easy to get in. Let me show you how easy it's going to be in to get kicked out. See? For the first time in my life, somebody is tracking everybody in that class. You're under the microscope, see? Because there's nobody going to be playing around with the Bible like it's been. There's going to be a hard line between what it was and what it is. Because this is the year of the Bible, see? Now, if you're out there and a young Christian, don't let this be, don't let this scare you. It has nothing to do with you. But you have got to get, some of you have got to open the door to the sub-level. 
You've got to get into that sub-level and begin to understand how that Bible and the machinery of that Bible works. If you're ever going to take this church and some of you guys are going to teach that, you can't just get up and listen to a tape and say what I say without knowing how it works. And I'm telling you, too much is given, much is required. And what God does is He, he stuck that thing. This, the, if this institute is the only class that I've ever done in the history of this church that is designed for one thing. It's designed to expose your weaknesses. It'll make you strong. It'll let you know the Bible. But it really wasn't designed for that. It's designed to put you under such scrutiny with the Word of God and such accountability that it exposes your weaknesses. You know what you get when you squeeze a lemon? I know, lemon juice. That's not necessarily true. A number of years ago, back in Ohio, when they were, everybody was putting the cyanide in a, in a Tylenol and it fixed your headache for good, well, there was a guy that was going into grocery stores with a hypodermic needle and he was injecting poison into lemons, which would be an easy thing to do. I hate to give this to any terrorist that may be sitting out there today, but, uh, but it's really a great thing. He was walking through the grocery store, and if you've ever been in a grocery store, and, and I love the grocery shop, you know, you go over there, and you can do anything you want in the produce department. He was injecting poison in these lemons. People were buying the lemons, <coughs> and then they were going home and making lemonade, and then they were dying. And it took him forever. I mean, he killed like 167 people before they even found out that one of the things that they all had done was drink lemonade. And I heard a preacher years and years ago after that, he said this. <clears throat> he says, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? And everybody in the congregation said, lemon juice. And he said, no. In reality, what you get when you squeeze a lemon is what is really on the inside. And then he told the story. People thought they were squeezing lemons to get lemon juice, but in actuality, they were getting what was really on the inside. You know what you get when you squeeze Christians? You think Christian juice. Whatever that is. You would think when you squeeze a Christian, you'd get Christian juice. You would get the stability of what has been taught and what they have when you squeeze them. Because the rest of you know it or not, Christians were made by God to be squeezed, as lemons were. But in actuality, when you squeeze a Christian, what you get is what is really on the inside. I love watching Christians getting squeezed. It reveals what is really on the inside. And I love squeezing Christians. And brother, I know how to squeeze them. Because that book is fixed in such a way that you play with me. You play with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You play with your mom or your dad. You play with your boss. You play with your, your, your people in your life. But you will not play with that Holy Spirit of God. You may think you do. The Jews thought they did. And all God did was just take one concept out of their little world and they got nothing out of the Bible and missed the greatest event on the history of planet Earth. And most of us are standing on the verge of the second greatest concept that will ever hit this planet and most of God's people are going to miss it. You're going to miss it.
My God, my God, my God, at the judgment seat of Christ. Now look what you traded that for. All right, Isaiah chapter 61. Sublevel. To whom much is given, much is required. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 61.1. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, <clears throat> to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now look at that. Semicolon. See that? Now watch this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that more. You see what you got? Verse 1, you got the first coming. Verse 2, you got the second coming. Right in the same verse. Or right in the same passage. Yeah, and the Jew could not see that. He couldn't determine that. Look at, come back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I'll show you a real killer. Now you talk about God switching it up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Talking to Satan. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Seed of the woman, that's Mary Christ. And thy seed being the devil, the Antichrist. Watch it. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see what you got there? You got a comma. It shall bruise thy head, comma, thou shalt bruise his heel. The bruising of the head is the second coming of Christ. The bruising of the heel is the first coming of Christ. You see what he did there? He not only separated them, he reversed them. Oh, poor Mel Gibson, when he wrote Passion of the Christ, if you watch the movie, he walked down there and he has Christ stepping on the head of that serpent. Why, you don't even know what dispensation. You need to go back to, you need to go back to, to Braveheart. You need to go back to something that you do well. You do not do the Bible well. He didn't step on the head of that serpent at the first coming of Christ, but he's going to break his head at the second coming. Now that's the problem the Jew had. The Jew could not see it. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. By the way, I'm just going to give you three or four. There's a whole host of them. You want to find out what, a, what anybody in the Bible believes? If they're really sub-level, ask them to show you their list. Go ahead. Go ahead. You got my permission. Go out to any church you want to go out to. Go out to anybody. Ask them. Show me. Show me your list of prophecies in the Old Testament where the first and coming and second coming put together. Show me that you really understand sub-level. Hey, has anybody been in this church five years or more? Go ask them. I mean, let's see where this is at. You're a leader. You're supposed to know the Bible. You walk around like you know the Bible. Let's just find out if you do. You're the Bible, folks. I told you. Should have did 2 Corinthians. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Now look at this. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Verse 6. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to come back and break it down. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Whoa, what a verse. Let's go back and break it down by the punctuation. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You got a colon, first coming of Christ. 
He came the first time as a child that was born, as a son. Look at the rest of that verse after the colon. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's the second coming of Christ when he establishes the millennium. Then you got colon. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now you're out into eternity. By one verse, one verse, by the punctuation, he told you that a son and a child was going to be born, first coming. The government millennium was going to be upon his shoulder, second coming. And then the Everlasting Father, Revelation 21 and 22, by the order of the verse, separated by the punctuation. Now, I know that the Old Testament Jews didn't have punctuation in their Old Testament. They didn't have it even set up the way that you and I have it set up. But that's not the point. The point is not, not, not whether we do or they don't. The point is, who showed somebody that? You think man just came up with that? No. You have the first coming and then the second coming and a millennium and then a reference to Revelation 21 and 22, reference to eternity, all in one verse separated by the punctuation of Cohen. Now, how do you explain that? And I'm going to tell you something. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to that book, that's what separates the men from the boys. The ability to work into the Bible on a sub-level where the machinery is. The powers, that concept powers everything throughout the Bible. That power, that concept we're talking is the main generator of the Bible that tells you why things are the way they are. I just gave you four, lots more. Ask the big boys. Find out who knows what. I mean, the idea that the Old Testament Jews look forward to the cross is lunacy. Now, that's the key. That's the key. Because that's what the Jews could not do. They could not separate the first coming of Christ from the second coming of Christ. And there's a reason why they couldn't. Your Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7 that God gave it to them through the prophets. Then how in the world did they miss the greatest event in history? Same way you and I are going to miss it. The first answer to that question is a three-part answer was the prophets. You know who the prophets were in the Old Testament? The prophets were men that God sent to the religious leaders and the political leaders of Israel. And those men came down and they spoke God's word in the ears of God's people. Those men came down as God's mouthpiece. And that's why whenever the prophet says something that he's going to be from God, what does he always say? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. What does he always say? John, thus saith the Lord. Every time. If you find in there where a prophet says something without saying that, he's not God's prophet. You know why? Because thus saith the Lord was the authority by which he spoke. So you find prophets today that don't have an authority before they speak? You better watch what they say. Now, the prophets were hated. And if you ever called to preach, you'll find out the parallel of that. Because as a New Testament pastor today, the parallels between the prophets, even though they may have wore sackcloth and loincloths and, and ate all kinds of gross stuff, and you and I live in a house with nice clothes and drive around the car, the message is the same. 
In their day, the nation of Israel had apostatized and they were called by God to tell them the bad news. Your job and my job in Christianity, which also has apostatized, is to break the bad news to God's people. You're wrong. You're blind. You're going to miss it. And you know what? In either case, you're not going to be very popular. You're not going to be very popular. The second issue was, and you see this in Romans chapter 1 verse 2, was the Holy Scriptures. The nation of Israel's number one problem is they keep getting rid of the Holy Scriptures. They kept dumping God's Word. If you find one thing characteristic through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is they just won't believe what God tells them they have to do. If there's any group of people that think they know more about God and can reinterpret what God was said to them and bring it out in their own world and their own life that they can make it work for them. If there's any other body of people other than a nation of Israel, it's the church today. You don't believe that Bible's holy. You, you don't believe that Bible's holy. You don't believe it's the Holy Scriptures. And by the way, the Scriptures were never, are never the original manuscripts. Original manuscripts weren't Scripture. Timothy said over there, he says, or Paul said to Timothy, from a child you've known the Holy Scripture. Timothy have the originals? It says back there, it says back there in Romans chapter 9, verse 17, that the Scripture said to Pharaoh, In these things have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. You go back to that reference in the Old Testament, wasn't the Scripture. You know who it was? It was God. God equates himself with the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify... The Scripture's foreseeing. Well, the attribute of foreseeing is something that's alive. That's God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture given by inspiration of God. Now, either you believe this book is holy or not. In the front of my Bible here... <coughs> See what it says right there? It says the Holy Bible. Now, why don't you just get honest this morning? Really? Why don't you? Come on. Let's have a, let's have a come to Jesus meeting today. Let's just get honest today. Let's just get honest. Everybody take that Bible, write it up right there, and tear that page out. Oh? Did I hear an O? Did I get an O? No. Why not? If, you, if you're not willing to live what it says, and you're more... You should have saw your faces when I said that. Some of you thought I would... I did that in a church one time, and I thought I lost half the crowd just like that until I came back with my statement. Some of you would get so upset that I would suggest that, but you would take what he wrote you and just trample it under your feet every day of your life. And you think there's something wrong with me? Hey, if you don't believe it's holy... And you don't believe it's holy by saying you believe it's holy. You believe it's holy by doing what it says. Then just whip that page out and make this like Tom Clancy. Hunt for Red October. The patent papers. All quiet on the Western Front. The life and times of Lizzie Borden. 
who took an axe and gave her father 40 whacks. And when the job was nicely done, she gave her mother 41. How many know who Lizzie Borden is? How many were alive when Lizzie Borden was alive? John Hill was. Born in the spirit of Lizzie Borden. Hey, you know what? I got an NIV at home. And when I opened up the NIV in front of mine, you know what it says? It doesn't say Holy Bible. It says the NIV Study Bible. There's two things. One thing I like about I found two things in life. I found a mistake in the King James Bible, and I found one truth in an NIV. The mistake I found in the King James Bible was at the very, very last chapter. Now, you've heard me preach all my life that I don't believe there's mistakes in the King James Bible. I found one. At the end of Revelation chapter 22, it says, look, at, oh, go ahead. And you, I know you're all, got your all, you're all looking now. Okay, come on, let's all get in this. Oh, we'll have a little mini, we'll share time. We'll have a little share time here. Go to the last page in your Bible, the last, end, Revelation 22. I found a mistake in the King James Bible. I never thought I'd ever get up and preach this. I found a mistake in the King James Bible. You know what it is? Where it says the end. That's a mistake. It isn't the end. It's the beginning. That's a mistake. Of course, God didn't put, you don't think God told him down there, put the end, do you? Man did that. That's a mistake. It's not the end. In fact, in my, my study Bible, it's crossed out. I saw some of you already crossed it out. Could be, you know what I put in there? I crossed it out and put, no, the beginning. Now, that's the only mistake I ever found in the King James Bible. The only truth I ever found in NIV is that it's not the Holy Bible. And I appreciate their honesty. Now, I, I, can't say that, oh, I can't say that every NIV you're going to find out, but the one I got is an NIV study Bible, and they were more impressed of telling you who the guys were that wrote it and telling you that you couldn't take the notes out and copy them because they're copyrighted than they were about it being holy. And I appreciate that. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's only one Holy Bible. But the bottom line is this. Do you really believe it's holy? Then why do you live the way you live? Why do you give God such little time in your life? If you, if, why don't you just get honest this morning? Come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think more of you if you just rip the page up than I am of you leaving it in and living you the life the way you live. Some of you have been saved 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20 years and you don't know the sub-level yet. Just take that page out. Just take it out. You know what? The Bible, if you've got a really good Bible, if you've got a really good Bible and you take that page out, it won't go to waste. I've known guys that rolled cigarettes in those things and smoked them because it's got the fine paper. It'll be a use to you. See, some of you don't like that kind of talk, do you? No, but you like just having it all around your life and never reading it, don't you? See, I'm telling you, that's us. That was the same problem Israel had. They had the Bible. Why, if you went up to the Jew and tried to tell him something, or well, he had the law, he knew the law, he just didn't live it. That was their first mistake. God has got a monkey wrench. Say it again. He got a monkey wrench that will fit in a nut in this world. The second element was the spirit of holiness. You see, the first one deals with your attitude toward God's Word. The second one deals with your relationship with the author of God's Word. I know lots of people who know the Bible and know it well. I don't know too many who have an intimacy with the author of it. 
and the author wasn't God. The author was the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know, 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 I know. You think, there, you think that that's just a play on words. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know. You think that was just a cliche that God threw out that was snappy. Every one of those means something different. Yes, they're all one, but they all have three offices. God the Father has a particular role in your life. God the Son has a particular role in your life. And God the Holy Spirit has a particular role in your life. Do you really know Him? Are you intimate with Him? When you read your Bible, do you spend as much time talking to Him before you read His book as you do just barreling in and then saying, well, I don't understand this? You know how most people begin to study, if they even pray at all before they read their Bible? And I know why most of you don't pray before you read the Bible. You're busy. You're busy. You want to get right down to it. You're busy. You got places to go, people to see, things to do. So you're busy. You don't have time to spend 20 minutes talking to the author of the book, finding out where he's at, building that intimate relationship with him that he might open up the book to you. No, 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 no. You're just going to get right down in that to it. You know how I know that probably 99% of you do not have what it takes with the Holy Spirit of God? And I'm leaving 1% just for, for, for you out there that maybe uh, you, you're underground and I don't know you yet. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, it called the Holy Spirit of God it. Why is it called an it? Why is it called an it? I thought it was a person. Why in 1 Peter chapter 1 was the Holy Spirit called it? Some places you'll find where it's called Holy Spirit. Some places it's called Holy Ghost. Why is the difference? Sometimes you'll find Holy Spirit. And the Holy H will be capitalized, the Spirit won't. Why is that? Sometimes it's called Spirit with a capital S. Sometimes it's called Spirit with a small s. Why is that? And you're going to kid me? You're going to tell me you're sub-level? You may be subconscious, but you're not sub-level. You see, that's the difference between knowing the Bible and being a real fireman who put out fires and somebody that just likes a little hat. And by the way, it doesn't fit. You look goofy. A big person like you with a little goofy hat on like that. The thing I hate about New Year's is the hats never fit. You ever notice that? I hate them. Nobody will ever go to a birthday party and you're, I'm a big guy and they give me a little cowboy hat about that big. And we're supposed to be like we're adults now. Kind of reminds me of the Democrats and the Republicans in the campaign. We used to do all those kind of shenanigans in junior high. I'm better than you. I know you're better than me. No, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm more experienced than you. I know you're stupid. I'm better than you. Man, we went through that in junior high. And that's who's going to run the country? Why don't you just go down here and get a high school student that graduated at the top of his class who spent three or four years in ROTC and put him in charge? Crazy. But you put these little hats on. And you look goofy. And everybody walks around saying, well, it's okay to look goofy because it's a birthday party. In my mind, it's never okay to look goofy. I look goofy enough without adding to my goofiness. <laughs> I don't need any help. Somebody puts on those little pointy little hats on. You look like a snow cone that fell out of the truck. <laughs> and you walk around in life, oh, we're having a party. Oh, man, put on your nose, you'll be a unicorn. I mean, it, it's, 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 but, but that's what we do. And that's the way God's people are. They play at being Christians. They think it's a party. They do. 
They walk around in little circles for 10, 5, 15, 20 years. And some of you will fall into the same mode. You'll be here five years and you know what? It'll just be another party to you. You won't know any more about God. You'll have no intimacy with the Holy Spirit of God. You'll always be reliant on Thursday night or me or this or that for you to get your Bible from. You'll never be able to sit down and see that thing because the key, my friend, is getting into the sub-level. The key is taking, and I know most of you have accepted the Bible as the Word of God. Your problem is, and my problem is, accepting the author in the intimacy that he wants to have the relationship with. And you know, you know I'm telling you the truth. You know I am. You may sit there all pious and you may sit there like, well, he ain't talking to me, he's talking to the person next to you. No, you know, deep down inside, you open that book and you give God what's left of your life all the time. And then wonder why, why do I have problems? I mean, other than you're an idiot? But you know what? And I don't mean to talk that way, but I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a lot better you hearing it from me today than at the judgment seat of Christ when you hear it from Him. I told you being a prophet wasn't a popular job. The Holy Spirit of God, the great unknown person of the Trinity. How all three fit together in your life. We know the book, but do you know the author of the book? And there's the problem. One of the greatest verses I ever, I, God ever gave me, turn over to Luke chapter 24. One of the greatest passages anywhere in all of the Bible. And certainly a key in both cases. Certainly a key in both cases. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible for me as a child of God, as a student of the Bible, and I don't put myself as a Bible scholar, never have, never will. I am a student of the Word of God. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 44. What a great passage. And he said unto them, These are the words, mark that, these are the words, the words, the words, which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Look at that thing concerning me. You see that thing? There it is again. He told you in verse 44 that he wrote in the Old Testament the thing concerning him. Now, how did the Jews miss that? Look at verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written. There it is again. Verse 44, these are the words. Verse 46, thus it is written. Watch. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer. And there it is, the sufferings of Christ. Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You see that thing? There again. In the Old Testament, it was written. It was, it was written. It, these are the words. What's the key? Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Let me tell you something, folks. If the Holy Spirit of God doesn't open that book to you, you're not going to get anything. That's what Israel failed. They rejected not only the Word of God, but they rejected the Spirit of God. Now, when you reject the Spirit of God, that's the only key you have to open to God's book because He's the author of that book. When you don't build a relationship with it, that's why some of you will be in this church if Jesus doesn't come back for another 20 years and you'll know no more about the Bible than you know right now. You'll still be struggling with the same things in your life you were 10 years ago. 
You'll be, you'll, 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 you'll fiddle fuddle around. You know what you'll be? You'll be the best chair sitter down there and the best hymnal putter down there we got in this church. But when it comes to the sub-level of the Bible, you'll never get in. You'll never get in. And it's not because you couldn't. It's because you're not willing to change what you've got to change to get that relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. You want it the cheap way. You don't want to spend the time. Some of you got your life so confused already. I mean, and so, oh, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this. It says, it says, No man that warth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If I could take one word and paint it across the whole concept of the body of Christ today, it would be that one word, tangled. We are the most tangled people on the face of this planet. We're tangled in our relationships. We're tangled in our emotions. We're tangled in our finances. We're tangled in every aspect of our life. And we have, because we're so tangled in this thing, we have to keep our head above water. We have absolutely no time to give God, much less the Holy Spirit of God. And that, my friend, is a tragedy. But that, my friend, is the truth. This was the problem that kept Israel from getting the truth on the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Two concepts. The spirit of the Holy Scriptures and the spirit of holiness. And it's the same two aspects that's going to mess up the body of Christ. In the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 through 12, listen to what he says. And he said, Go and tell this people, Israel, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And ye see indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. That's God speaking to His own people. And Isaiah takes place right before the captivity when Israel has clearly dumped what God said and dumped the Holy Spirit of God. And it doesn't end there. When you come to Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, when Christ presents Himself to the King of the Jews. In Matthew chapter 12, you know what the Jews do? They equate the Spirit by which Christ does the miracles that He does with the Spirit of the devil. Now, you know what God does? He slams the door shut. You know what he does? He says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, quoting back from Isaiah, And in them, Israel, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing shall ye hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. And I know I'm talking about the nation of Israel, but I'm telling you, that I could just be as well as talking to the body of Christ today. The fact that you're sitting here this morning means absolutely nothing. You don't just means you don't want me asking you where you were. It just means you don't want your family saying, well, why weren't you at church Sunday? You don't want your mother saying, well, now we really missed you. So it's easier for you to come here and put on the act than it is to really just be here because you've got some kind of intimacy going with God.
Paul makes reference to this. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll show it to you again. Paul makes reference to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is sub-level. This is where the machinery of the Bible gets its power from. You have to know these concepts. This isn't, this isn't entry level. This isn't where you store. This is the sub-level. This is where the machinery of the Bible is that powers everything else that God does. These are the root basic Bible concepts. Look at chapter 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end, uh, which was abolished. See what that end is there? That ends, that ends the second coming of Christ. That's the end of the tribulation. You know what he just told you? He told me that Mo, Moses put a veil over his face because Israel couldn't see the end. Well, let's go on. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil was done away in Christ. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying to this very day, when the nation of Israel reads the Old Testament, because they don't read the New Testament, when the nation of Israel reads the Old Testament, that veil is on their face and they cannot see the glory of God in the Old Testament because of the hardness of their heart. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Ah, Moses had it on his face. They put it on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the Lord is, the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. All right, inspirationally. Moses had been with God. And uh, in time, some of you are going to plug into God. In time, some of you are going to get to that point in your life where nothing else matters. Your job doesn't matter anymore. Would you get that? Because if I bend this over, I'm going to pop this out here. I had surgery yesterday. You want to see my scar? I got stitches. No, I'm just laughing at you. I'm buttoning my shirt in front of all these people. You know what happens when you see this and you put it all together and you, 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 you see what he's doing? When, the, when somebody in this church at some point is going to plug into God. And when you plug into God and you build that intimacy with God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be like Moses. Moses was up on a mountain with God. He had an intimate relationship with God. You know what everybody else was doing while he was up there? They were making golden calves. They were dancing naked around the fire. Naked. Baptist preachers call it naked. They were down there like animals, running all over the place, making golden images, doing all kinds of... He'd been with God. And when he came down from that mountain, you know what? Because he'd been with God, he had associated with God, he came down like God. And they're down there, you know, watching, having a big old fire, and they're roasting hot dogs and everything, and they're having a rock band, and they're having a great time, just like some of the music you listen to. And they're down there, you know, and they're, they're all singing, and they're all dancing, and they're, doing, oh, they're going to town, you know, and all of a sudden somebody says, what's that light? Well, the light's way up there in that mountain. What's the light anyhow? Well, what's the, look at that light. And they're looking at that thing and the band stops playing. All the beboppers stop bebopping. Got the light getting closer. Somebody said, we need to call the sheriff. That's the UFO. And then somebody says, no, it's Moses. Oh, no. 
Moses walked into that camp. You know what the Bible says? It says they were afraid of him. You know why? They, you know why the, now, this wasn't the unsaved crowd. This is the people of God that were called out in Exodus chapter 12, not just a couple of years ago. This is the great nation by which all the other nations in the world are going to be blessed. The people of God were afraid of the man of God because he glowed with God and they didn't. Now, there's a great lesson there because some of you at some point in your life, I hope, are going to start that glow. You're going to plug in. And I'm telling you right now, when you do, the people who are still living with the idols are going to have a problem with you. And then you've got two choices at that point. You can let that glow go or you can just keep on glowing. But that's the inspirational application. And uh, the more you are with God, the more people are not going to appreciate it. Who are your peers? I'm not talking about the world now. I'm talking about God. There are some people in this church, I guarantee you, I don't know who you are, but you can't help but being here. There are some people in the church that if somebody else gets ahead of them and does something more than they do or does it better, that you just growl down inside. Oh, you smile on the outside, but you're growling on the inside. You know why? Because you've got idols in your life. You can't stand the glow of somebody else. Now, doctrinally, Verse 15 says, when they read the Old Testament today, the veil is on their heart. Moses is a type of Christ. And he's coming in the glory, but Israel can't grasp it. Why? Because they dump God's Word and they dump the Spirit of God. And let me just say this to you. It's not called the Holy Spirit here. It's not called the Holy Ghost here, which it really should be. It's not called it. It's not called capital H, small s. It's called the Spirit of Holiness. You know why? Because the Spirit of Holiness, to unlock the Word of God, means you have to live a life of holiness by the Spirit of Holiness. That's another whole series right there, isn't it? Another whole series. It means you can't listen to the music you listen to, look at the things that you look at, do the things that you do and keep your one foot in the world and one foot in with God. That's what it means. It means that you've got to make a separation. It means you've got to decide what you're going to do. It means that, that the, 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 the nation of Israel, who was God's greatest people on the face of this planet, missed the first coming. Even their own 12 apostles, who were with him day and night, ate with him, slept with him, walked with him, talked with him, watched him in every mode, they missed it. Now, that's the issue, ladies and gentlemen. Christ all through the Old Testament, but they can't see it. They can't see it because, one, they rejected the book. They can't see it because, two, God rejected, uh, they rejected God's Spirit. And you better get this. God only reveals His Word through His Spirit, and it's a spirit of holiness. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 talks about the nation of Israel, but it's also you and I. And you've got to realize and understand that in reality. You know what? I, I never... I, in reality, in reality, in reality, if God wanted to send a, spend a, save a lot of time with the judgment seat of Christ, you know what he could do? Now, he ain't going to do this. It's going to be more entailed to this. But if I was God, I'd cut down on the time frame. You know what I'd do? I'd just get every Christian to judgment seat of Christ, and I'd have them to open their Bibles. And I'd walk by, and I'd just see. Let me see what an intimate relationship with my spirit gave you about me and my book that you wrote down. Really? 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 And then God just sit down with you after looking at that and okay, well, you got a lot of notes in there. Wow, that either means one of two things. Either you had a relationship with me or you were good at listening to tapes. So now let's talk a little bit. 
Let's talk. You're my building. You're my temple. You know there was three levels of the temple back there when Solomon built it, don't you? All right, let's talk about it. What did you do there? What did you do that? What ministries were you in? Sub-level or, or, or basement level. What do you got stored? Give me that Bible. Quote me three verses about me. Quote me five verses about eternal security. Give me three verses why you shouldn't believe in tongues or can do their salvation. Give me the five. Give me, there, there, give me, there's 48 prophecies concerning me in the Old Testament. Give me two of them. Sub-level. 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 Explain propitiation. Explain it. Sub-level. Show me the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Sub-level. Show me what's going on here, what, why Israel missed the first coming. Sub-level. Take it down where the machinery is. Show me the basic fundamental concept of, of grace throughout the whole Bible. Show it to me. No, you can't use your Bible. Tell me about it. You see, things that are in your heart, things that you got stored, you don't have to have a Bible to find them. They're there. You, you can find them because you live there. If I was to ask you where your running shoes were, does anybody have to say, well, I got to go home and find them? You know exactly where you put them. You know why? Because you wear them all the time. Well, when you wear this all the time, it just kind of hangs out where it's always at. People are so stupid. They, they think I'm stupid. I'm telling you, folks, the nation of Israel missed the greatest day on the face of this planet. And God said down there, and Paul's telling, by comparison, Paul's showing us that the Jews missed the first coming, and we're going to miss the second coming because we're so busy doing our own thing. And we're tangled, man. We are tangled. God says, let no man that warreth entangle himself. We are tangled. We can't stay on point. We lose our focus. We, we, we just cannot stay on task. Yet the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. As a church in the 21st century New Testament, Paul's warning is simple. You know what? Don't let happen to you what happened to the Jews. God wrote in His book things that were key to them to get His first coming, and because they rejected His word and their spirit of holiness, they didn't get them. God's got some things for you with the second coming of Christ and God help you to see it today. I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, when you get to that day, whatever you think is so important right now to keep you from giving your life to Him is going to go away like a shadow. I don't know how to impress that upon you. I don't know how to... I, I, being a prophet's a tough job. But I don't know how to impress it upon you. Whatever you're putting your eggs and all your basket on today isn't going to be worth two hoots in hell when Christ comes back. It isn't going to make a difference. He saved you and He called you. Some of you have ignored the call in your life for so long. But the good thing about God, you notice what He says after every one of those verses. He says, but when they turn and come back to me, I'll heal them. You know what? I don't care where you're at today. I don't care where you've come from. Maybe I preached this message today and I just beat you senseless. That was not my purpose. But that might have been God's purpose. But that was not my purpose. But my purpose was to get you to think. My purpose is to get you to understand, like Paul's trying to tell him back there that he's laying out to us, hey, look, they missed the greatest day in the history of the world. And we are about to miss the greatest second day in the history of the world. And after the day, he comes back. 
because we are asleep. We are so busy with our lives and the mistakes and the bad decisions that it's overwhelmed us, that we're tangled. And yet, instead of just saying, hey, look, I'm tangled. I'm in a mess. I need to get out. We just walk on like we're Miss Spirituality and Mr. Bible. It all starts in here. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who you are today. I don't care what condition you're in, saved or lost. God will take you whenever you decide to make your mind up to do what's right. He'll wash away your past. He, I don't care what you've done, who you've done it with, how many times you've messed it up. It doesn't matter. God is willing, like most Christians are not willing, to forgive you on the spot. He is to eradicate everything that you did against Him, unlike most Christians. He is willing to eradicate it. He's willing to give you a fresh start today. He'll never bring up again whatever you did dumb in the past. Boy, if He did, we'd all be in trouble. He'll give you a fresh start. He'll give you everything you could ever want. And from this point on, you can begin to make your life count. There is absolutely, absolutely no reason for you to wind up at the judgment seat of Christ and not get a full, sure reward other than you don't want to. Other than who's more important in your life than God today. Other than what's more important in your life than God today. Other than your laziness. Other than your dysfunctionality. Other than your inability to just hear simple truths of God. And that's where it's at. That's where it's at. And I'm telling you, it's not popular. People don't like to hear it. But you know what? I don't know what to tell you. The bottom line is this. Being a prophet is not an easy job. I figure, I figure this next year we'll lose about 20 people. Now, you know what? I think that's good. Now, don't let you, if you're a visitor here, I'm not talking about you at all. I mean, you get a free shot. But you know what? There's people who've been around here now long enough that it's, he's going to get turned up this year. And I, and I look at us as, I look, you know, I look at a church like a, like, a, like a fighter, like an athlete. Bible likens it to a soldier. And you know, as a soldier, you've got to be able to keep yourself at a fighting weight. And the thing you don't want to do as a church is you don't want to get extra pounds on in the fighting world. Slow you down. And you know this church, you know my, you know my philosophy, anybody can have whatever they want of the God in the Bible. It's your choice, it's not mine. But I also know this. I know this has been a nice, easy place just to hide in the last four years. It has. And all you young Christians that are in discipleship right now or what I said earlier, hey, that's fine. No problem. You know what? You get the same grace that everybody else got when they came into this place. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you think, and every time we get a big crowd, somebody says, boy, you're really growing, really growing. You know what? That can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. Because the good side is we want to reach people. good side is we want to minister to people. But the bad side is the bigger you get, just like anything else, the more fat comes on it. There's only one thing I know how to do. Exercise. Right diet. Exercise. We've got to take this church from a nice little lollipop nursery to AIT at Fort Benning, Georgia. We've got to harden you up now. We've got to get, you, get some muscle on you. Get some lean muscle on you. Spiritually speaking. We've got to get to the point now where you, can, you, can, you don't take things personal. 
I mean, we can just be a nice church the rest of our lives. And I, I told you, I told you. I mean, we were looking at the church building down there. They told us that we did this egress and did this, whatever an egress is. They said we could have a thousand people down there. And I said, you know what? We could stay there the rest of our lives. You know why? Because we will never have a thousand people in our church. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that. I really am. Because you know what? When you get a thousand people, you're not going to tell me in the world we live in. I'd rather have 200 that are dedicated and want to do what's right than a thousand where you still have 200 are and 800 don't. You want to, does anybody want to drag around 800 pounds behind you? I don't. Does anybody want to be shackled when you go out in the morning, you've got 200 pounds on your shoulders and just dead weight you've got to drag around all day long? Get it in the car. Get it out of the car. You've got to put it in the trunk. You've got to get the work. You've got to take it out. And you, you can't put any little dolly wheels on it. You've got to drag it along, you know, and just drag it along. Well, you know what? As a pastor, that's exactly what pastoring is sometimes. And I'm, again, I'm not talking to you young Christians. You young Christians, you visitors here today, you know what? If you decide to do what's right and make it count, I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you a Bible, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. You can have my time. I'm not talking about that. So don't misunderstand. I'm saying, you know what? It's time for some of us to get down into the sub-level. You've been around long enough now. You need to quit being dead weight because I ain't going to carry you around anymore. I ain't going to carry you around anymore. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know what? This church has to operate on the men and women that grow up and don't just pretend they're doing it, but actually do it. If this church is, it's just like I said about your Bible. If it isn't holy to you, just get honest. Tear the page out. Tear the holy Bible out and just put it up there with Tom Sawyer. Put it up there with, put it up there with your sports books. Put it in there in your, in your philosophy books. Put it up there with, with all the, the other books you read that don't mean anything in your life anyhow. Bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Holy Scriptures. And it was given by the Spirit of Holiness. And it takes those two concepts in your life to get that book opened up. You're a young person here this morning, and you're just a young, or you're an elder, older person in here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior. That's where you start. Don't let my, don't let my, my excitement about the Word of God or my loud tone intimidate you. I, I love you. I love this church. But I love God more. And as God's prophet, I have to say what he wants me to say. Because I'd rather have you get mad at me and get it right here than stand there at the judgment seat of Christ and lose everything you got because I didn't open my mouth. You may not like me now, but you'll like me then. And I don't know what else to tell you. I've said it from day one. We're either going to be a church or we're not. We're not going to be a club. It ain't going to be a Boy Scouts. It ain't going to be a fraternal order of police. It ain't going to be, it ain't going to be a, a, a social thing. It ain't going to be an Elks club. It's going to be a New Testament, Bible-believing local church. That's why we don't, we, I've firmly made up my mind, if we, if we get at this building down here, we're not putting a sign up. A sign costs us six, $7,000. You know what? That's beside the point. I'm not putting a sign up because I have firmly believed that sign just brings in riffraff. Sign brings people coming in and say, well, I was mad at the last pastor. Let's see if I can get mad at you about something. Well, you know what? I'll give you something to get mad about before you even get here. We'll save all the expense. Save the emotion. You know what? I said a couple weeks ago, you be the signs. The great thing about this church is that you are concerned about people. You're concerned about your family. You're concerned about your mothers, your dads, your sisters, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters. You're concerned about your cousins, your aunts, and your uncles. You're concerned about the people you work with. You are constantly telling people about the Lord, and God is using you. We don't need a sign. I got you. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
That's the way it will be. I'm not saying I won't ever do it, but I'm in a climb right now that I don't ever care if I do. You know why? Because you are the heart of this church. And it comes down to you making up your mind what you're going to do and what you're going to be for God. Answering that call. Recognizing that whatever you do in life, you know what? It's good and it may pay the bills, but in the judgment seat of Christ, it ain't going to be about that. It's going to be about what you did with your time left over and gave it to Him. I took 40 people working with me on a one-on-one. Put them into an institute situation which is going to hold their feet to the fire. I will kick their butts out so fast they won't know what hit it. We start at 6 o'clock. At 6.05, the door's locked. You don't get in. Don't wham-wham on the phone because I'll turn it off. Don't go wham-wham to your mom or dad because that ain't going to do any good. It's going to be you're going to step up and do what's right or you're not. And you know what I'm going to do in this next year and a half? I'm going to try to get a bunch of more people ready to go that when I'm done with this crowd, I can start next year with another group. Getting you in the sub-level. Getting you where you've got to get the Bible is. You young Christians out there, you know what? You're being discipled right now or we're working with you right now. That's what we want to do. We want to get that basic concept into your life. We want to get those basic things working for you. So if you're here this morning, whatever state you're in, maybe you're lost and you never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior. Maybe if you were to die right now, if you were to die right now, you don't know that you'd go to heaven. You know what? That's a terrible state to be in. Maybe you're here and you are saved, but your life has just been up and down for, for God knows how long. You know what? We can stop that today. I will put, if you want, I will help you. I will put whatever, whoever, whatever it takes in your life to help you get evened out with where you need to go with God. Maybe you have children that are struggling and you're a single parent. I don't care. We have them come in in all different arrangements. It doesn't matter. We are here to help you be everything God wants you to be. Don't let what happened to the nation of Israel happen to you. Don't miss the greatest day of His coming. Miss it in the sense, if you're lost, miss it in judgment. If you're saved, miss it at the judgment seat of Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed.